Our psalm of the day is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Our gospel lesson this morning is from John chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you may turn there. We are reading from verses 7 through 18. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. And that was weak, guys. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you speak to us in the Scriptures. We're grateful for all that you have revealed and how you call us now to respond. We ask that you would lead us and guide us in that response. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning is found in the 23rd Psalm. If you have a Bible available, you may turn there or you can follow along on the screen. Last week we began a new sermon series of praying through the Psalms. And since I was not here, I want to give you a brief introductory word because why the Psalms? Christ Church, you have probably noticed that we work a lot with the Psalms. Each week during the service, we read a Psalm. 
Many of our hymns that are found in our Presbyterian tradition are rooted in the Psalms. We encourage you as a congregation to read the Psalms once a quarter, to go through all the entirety of 150 of them once a quarter. And then every summer, we take several weeks to preach through various Psalms. And so it's a good question. Why the Psalms? Why do we do so much with one particular book of the Bible? Because the Psalms are all around us. And there's one simple answer. The Psalms are tools that teach us how to pray. Paul confesses that we don't know how to pray as we ought. Granted, we, every one of us, know how to ask for things. We know how to treat God like a genie in a bottle and to make known to Him our top priorities, things that we would like to receive from Him. And we especially are good at that when things aren't going particularly well. But this form of prayer isn't exactly what the Bible envisions as a complete and full and mature prayer life. And the Psalms step in at this point because they teach us how to speak, how to pray to the God who has spoken to us. Our prayers are simply a response to the God who has revealed Himself. We speak because we've been spoken to. We pray because we have been pursued by God. Our prayers are simply a response. But this God who speaks to us and this God who comes to us, He doesn't always cooperate with our agenda. He doesn't work in ways that we always understand. And so we struggle. We struggle and can understand what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says we know not how to pray as we ought. We don't know how to respond to this God. We don't know how to fully engage with Him. And this is why the Psalms are so important. This is why they're vital for your spirituality. Because they prepare us for that encounter with that God that we don't fully understand, who has revealed Himself, but at times who we find perplexing. Eugene Peterson writes that the Psalms are prayers that train us in prayer. And that's their great value and usefulness. We don't need to master them before we use them. We don't need to become completely understanding of everything that they mean that using them is the means to proficiency. That is how you can become acquainted with them. So jump in and use them is our plea. Four years ago, I found myself at the end of my resources. I had been, or not four years ago, four years into my pastoral ministry, I found myself at the end of my personal resources. I left seminary a confident young man, and four years later, I was uh, not very confident and rather humbled. I was depressed, tired, discouraged, angry, and self-pitying. And I didn't really know what to do about it. I wondered where God was. He felt rather silent, and the Bible felt rather dead and tired. My prayers were flat. The old tricks that I had learned seemed rather hollow. And what was I supposed to do now that I was all grown up and had committed myself to be a pastor? I didn't know how to pray about what I was thinking and feeling. I didn't know how to process that with God. I didn't know if that was even available, whether God would tolerate something like that. And then, for reasons still somewhat unknown to me and somewhat unclear, I was directed to the Psalms. I had a few people hint and mention it, but I found myself with my Bible open 
and that with the only place that I could really turn. You'll have to forgive me because it wasn't, it's not a moment I'm proud of, but there was a lot of deadness in my spiritual life, and I found myself only able to read from the Psalms, and I was doing just one a day. That was what I could handle and manage at that point. But what was so fascinating, it was through these strange prayers that are from far different, distant lands and places. They're written by fellow saints who have journeyed with us in the difficulties of faith. And those prayers became a second home over time. It was in the use of them that I became proficient in understanding the value of them. And there were two things that shocked me. The first thing that shocked me about the Psalms was their candor. There was disappointment, there was grief, there was anger, there was confession, there was complaint. They had an extraordinary amount of candor in interacting with God, and there was a freedom in the Psalms that I myself did not feel in my relationship with God. And so I was able to learn a great deal. But the second thing that I learned was not just about their candor, because at the end of their candor was a profound respect because there was a confidence in the God who they prayed to. There was a confidence in the Psalms that God would make things right, that God was faithful and righteous and just, that He wasn't blind and that He did hear and that God would answer His people. He would make good on His promises. He was reliable. He was trustworthy. And those two things began to take a formative hold of my spiritual life and of my prayers, that there could be candor with God while being completely confident that God would work things out. I was learning to pray through the prayers of the Bible itself. And this is what we're inviting you into this summer. It's why I'm going to bang on about the Psalms and say that it's important because we learn a full diet of what a mature prayer life looks like through these biblical prayers. And this morning, we have a classic. It is perhaps most intimidating to preach on these passages because everyone knows the 23rd Psalm. Attend most any funeral, Christian or non, and you will hear the 23rd Psalm. Its language is beautiful, it's iconic, and its beauty exists in its simplicity. Straightforward. It's a prayer orienting us to God in the midst of life's uncertainties and fears. These very short six verses orient us to God in the middle of all kinds of disorientation. And we all know that life teaches us that our fears are real. And the psalm teaches us how to process and handle these fears in the midst of life. And so the question that we'll ask this morning, very simple. How do we pray as fear and uncertainty press in on us? How do we pray in the middle of that? There are three movements in the psalm that we're going to follow. The first one is this is that we learn to confess our dependence. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
And the prayer begins with this marvelous confession that the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant name of the God of Israel, the God who had created all things and now was redeeming all the nations of the earth, this God is my shepherd. There was a personalization taking place in this psalm that is very powerful. And of course, if God is shepherd, then there is a confession that we are the sheep. That we are the ones under His care. And this is where the prayer begins with an acknowledgement that we relinquish, we relinquish any notion of independence and autonomy. That we are sheep of God's flock. That we are under care. That He is in charge and we are not. We are confessing that we can't govern ourselves. If you've ever had the opportunity to be around sheep, you know that they're not the brightest animals out there. And so we are compared to that. And that if left to ourselves, we will find ourselves at risk and in danger. We will not take ourselves to green pastures. We will not take ourselves to quiet waters. We will find ourselves devoured by wolves and in dangerous landscape. Half-blind, pitiful creatures. We're dependent upon God. The psalm then explains this further about our dependence in verse 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And the import here in all the metaphors is that God is the one who sustains us. He feeds us and preserves us. He cares for us. And then at the beginning of verse 3, He restores my soul. The word for soul here means life. And this is speaking of the shepherd who brings one back into the flock. This is speaking of salvation. He retrieves me back into the family is the import of what's being said. He saves us. And then at the end of verse 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God leads us in right paths. Not in a crooked way. Not in a dangerous way. He guides us into the way that is pleasing to Him. Our God is saving us. He is sustaining us. He is guiding and instructing us as we humbly submit to Him as His sheep. He provides in every way for us. And so the question becomes, why is this so important in the midst of fear? Why must we profess and confess our dependence on God in the middle of fear? And fear arises simply when things spin out of control. Suddenly we feel threatened, we are disoriented, and we're scared. And it is at that moment when we feel threatened and scared that we especially need to confess that we are not the masters of our own fate. That we are dependent creatures. And that we do have a shepherd who tends to us. Who cares for us. He sustains us. He saves us. He guides us and leads us. Because with enough life experience, we learn that things are profoundly outside of our control. We can pretend to try to control all we want, but they are profoundly outside of our control. And this is where handling fear must begin in announcing our dependence upon God. That we are not the masters of reality. That He is. And so we humble ourselves. And our dependence is a confession of humility. But yet it is that confession of humility that is the most profound foundation for our ultimate security.
It is in that humility that we find security in front of God. The second thing that we learn from the psalm, though, in learning to confess our dependence, we also learn to confess God's reliability. If you look with me in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Begins with the metaphor still here referring to the sheep and the shepherd. Talking about the valley of the shadow of death. Now in the Near Eastern world, it was full of what we would call crags and wadis. We translated the word valleys, but they were very sharp ravines that often led down to streams and riverbeds. They were dangerous. It could be difficult to maneuver around them, and shepherds in that world had to do so all the time with great frequency. And they would guide their flocks through these ravines and crags, and they would have to maneuver around them. One of the difficult things about those ravines was that this is where the predators also were. It's where predators would find easy prey as sheep came down the treacherous slopes. And so what we find here is that the shepherd doesn't promise that we will avoid all adversity. But what he promises is that he will be present, that he will protect, he will watch over us, that his rod and his staff will be there for comfort. That is God's promise to us in the difficult moments of life. He is there to guard and defend. But the biggest challenge for us here is the challenge of translating what we can know as good theology into the practice of everyday life. It is in life's difficult moments where we really demonstrate. For many of us, we've been taught Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. And that is the meaning of Psalm 23 verse 4. That we can fear no evil because God is the shepherd and He is watching over us and caring for us. And He will work everything together for good, even what others may intend for evil. But this is the most difficult challenge for us. The challenge is to appropriate that in the middle of our own crisis. Several years ago, I sat down with one of my mentors and I was talking to him about some different challenges and, uh, that were going on in my church at that time. And the session had turned into a glorified complaint moment where I was just sharing with him how hard it was and I just wanted to be heard. And then he turned and looked at me after patiently listening. And he said, Chuck, what I want to know is what is God doing at this moment in your life through these circumstances. And I knew what he was asking me at that point, and I didn't want to engage it. Because what he was asking me was to believe my doctrine of the providence of God. That God was with me. That God had brought about these circumstances. That God was working these circumstances for my good. And I was resisting Him. I wanted nothing to do with it at that point. I wanted to complain and be angry and upset. That's what I wanted. I didn't want to ask, how is my good shepherd at work in my life at this moment? And how is he working this for my good and for the church's good? 
That was the more demanding and difficult question to ask. I didn't want to respond to what God was doing in my life at that point. And friends, this is the challenge that we face in our fears and anxieties. Is are we going to know that God is reliable in that moment? That God is at work? Are we going to take our good theology and are we going to appropriate it? Are we going to exercise it at that moment? A couple of years ago, I went on a retreat with several other pastors, and one of my friends, a guy named Tommy Henson, also a fellow pastor, is an extraordinary cook. And so when you go on retreat with Tommy, you know you're going to be fed very well. One morning, he was cooking breakfast, and so we were all eager and excited because one of our purchases at the grocery store the night before had been that thick, natural-cut bacon. You know what I'm talking about? It's the stuff that, yeah, it, my mouth is watering. It, it give you a heart attack tomorrow, basically. It's so good. And so we had that lined up along with a bunch of other things. The eggs were finished, and they opened the oven where the bacon was to pull it out. And there was the bacon sitting there raw. And we all looked at each other standing in the kitchen. Well, didn't you turn on the oven? No. Well, didn't you? No. Didn't you? We put the bacon in the oven. We just hadn't turned it on. And so we had raw bacon sitting there. And I'm afraid that much of our theology is like that raw bacon. It has extreme amounts of potential. It's just not actualized. We haven't turned it on and cooked it, and so it's useless. And friends, prayer is the place where your theology gets actualized. It's where it gets exercised. It's where it becomes real. And this is what the 23rd Psalm invites us into, is to confess God's providential control in all of our affairs. That even in the valley of the shadow of death, we cannot fear. His rod and staff are with us. They comfort us. That God is at work. He is for us and with us in all of our life's circumstances. And so we pray confident of the reliability of God. The final movement that we find in the psalm, though, is that we learn in our prayers to conclude with confidence. Verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist tells us that goodness and mercy shall follow us. The verb for follow here is strong. It means something like pursue, hunt us down. And the goodness and mercy of God are the attributes of the covenant-keeping God, His steadfast love and faithfulness. That God will hunt us down with His steadfast love and faithfulness. That He will not forsake us. That these, this non-forsaking God will follow us and pursue us all the days of our life. And this is how the psalm concludes with this confident statement in the middle of all of our fears that God will not forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. It's the statement being made. But why are we so confident of that? Why can the Christian pray that way? Because life can certainly make us feel uncertain. 
We can be uncertain of the favor of God in our circumstances. Some of our circumstances are hard, and we have hard providences from God. And so how can we possibly have confidence that nothing separates us from Him, that goodness and mercy actually follow us, that goodness and mercy are chasing us down? Perhaps one of the most helpful places to meditate on that question is in Mark chapter 14. You can turn there in your Bible if you like. It's two days before Passover, and Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper. There, a woman anoints his head with oil. He's in the presence of Judas, and we've learned at the beginning of the chapter that the scribes and the Pharisees are plotting how to kill him. After the anointing with oil, Judas goes out to betray him. And just after that, Jesus then celebrates the Lord's Supper. A table was prepared. And friends, it is in the pattern of Scripture that we often find the prayers of the Psalms. Where Jesus is fully identifying with this situation in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jesus identifies with all of that experience. A table with thanksgiving, enemies anointed with oil. And it all leads to His ultimate demise. But the issue is is that Jesus dies in our place, but He wasn't guilty. He was innocent. And so God vindicates Him, evacuating the verdict, and He rises from the dead. And then He stands as the glorious new Son of Man. And all who have faith in Him can be confident that God will treat them the same way. That goodness and mercy pursue Jesus down into death because He was innocent and He was the one righteous man. God's faithfulness found Him and brought Him back to life. And because of this Jesus, God now relates to you in that way. That that covenant promise is unshakable. That God's mercy and goodness will hunt you down as well. That it belongs to you. That it is yours. That you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, your confidence doesn't lie in yourselves. Your confidence doesn't lie in your humility. Your confidence doesn't lie in the quality of your prayers. Your confidence lies in one place. It lies in Christ the one who is perfectly identified and prayed these words and now affirms and secures these promises for you. That's the ultimate security that God extends to you. And that is why in prayer we can have the profound confidence and boldness to know that all of God's yes is ours in Christ and in Christ alone. Nothing can shake that confidence. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And nothing can separate us from the confidence that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, this is what learning to pray through the Psalms does to us. We speak to God having heard Him spoken to, uh, having spoken to us. And we find new ways of interacting with Him. Profound, mature ways that go beyond just simply our laundry list of wants and needs. 
Those have their place, but there's far more. Take God's invitation up. Engage with Him. Learn to pray in the Psalms. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for Your help. We know that we struggle in prayer, and it's difficult to know how to respond to You, especially when we're uncertain and our lives are full of fear. But Lord, we know that You also give us resources, and we have these prayers that You have inspired, and so teach us to pray. May we learn from their movements and motions, and may we be able to confess our dependence. May we be able to confess Your reliability, and may we be able to grow strong in confidence that is ours through Jesus. So be at work in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.